Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Bavakama, daf Samach Aleph, page 61. Well, today we're going to have a bunch of Mishnayos. Uh, the first Mishnah is going to continue what we started discussing yesterday, which is uh, about what happens, you know, laws of fire when a person lights a fire on his own property, but then it spreads to somebody else's property and causes damage. And the first mission reads as follows. If the fire crossed a wall that was more than four amot high, or in a public road, or a river, pator, he is pator, he's not liable. Um, and the reason for that is, is that we sort of say that these are not things that a fire, these are not barriers that a fire usually would cross. And so it's sort of, it's, it's you know, this is just uh, something that happened. It's really out of everybody's control. Now, the Mishnah is, the Gemara, excuse me, is going to start off with uh, talking about this four Amahai wall, right? Vahatanya, wasn't it taught in a said Avra Geder, Shuku Gavoa, Arbameot Chayav, right? We have a Brisa that says, even if the, if it crosses a wall that's four Amot high, he would be Chayav. So the Gemara is going to, you know, solve this by saying, Amar Rav Papa, Tana didan ka chashim milamala lamata. Our Tana, meaning the Tana of our Mishnah, this is what Rav Papa says, is talking about from higher to lower heights, right? And what does they mean? Sheish amot pator. If the wall comes to six amot, then the owner of the fire is pator. Chamesh amot pator. If it's five amot, he is pator. Ad arba amot pator. And if the wall is until four amot, he is pator. Tana kara milamata milamala kachashib. But the Tana of the Brisa is talking from lower to higher heights. Shte amot chayav, right? Two amot, you would be chayav. Shlosh amot chayav, if the wall was only three amot, you would be chayav. Ad arba amot chayav. And until four, right? Unless it's not above four, it would be chayav. So in other words, it's just how you're teaching uh, this particular halakha, right? Is it like up to four amot or is it above four amot? So our mission is teaching anything four amot or higher, whereas the brace is teaching anything four amot and lower. Um, and so then Rava comes to explain why this would be. I'm a Rava, pator. These four amot that says that you're pator. This even applies when the fire crosses a field of uh, a field of thorns, right? Which certainly thorns are something that burn very easily, and it could definitely go across the wall. But even if that's the case, you'd still would be pator. And then Rav Papa comes and adds, "Amar Rav Papa umisfat kotzim milamala arba amot." As long as from the top of the edge of the thorns, right, there has to be at least four amot. Uh, so, in other words, the top of the wall is at least four amot higher than the top of the uh, thorns. So this seems to be, you know, uh, this is not straightforward from what's read in the Mishnah, right? The Mishnah seems to say it just has to be four amount higher, right, than the wood pile that's beneath the fire. So this way the wall has to be very high and it's above it, so it, it has to actually provide protection from the thorns itself. From here, the Gemara is going to go on to discuss a couple of Finer points about this particular uh, about this particular Mishnah, um, and I'll just read a few more that are interesting. Amarav lo shanu kolachat. Right, they didn't teach that the owner of the fire is pator, except in the case of a rising fire. Avav but in the case of a nifpefet, in the case of a bent fire, 
right? So the fire was bent over with wind. Um, even if the barrier that was crossed with a hundred amot high, he would be, uh, he would be chayab. Now, again, how you would, what this means is it's a fire that somehow was bent by the wind as opposed to the first type of fire, which is like a fire that's just like a, a column of, uh, a, a column of fire. So even the fire itself, it would sort of depend on this. Uh, that's what Rob says. Shmuel disagrees. Shmuel Amar, Maninam Bidnif Pefet, right? We're talking, the mission is talking about a bent fire. But with a rising fire, even if you have a tiny barrier, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be exempt. Um, and so the Mepharshim, we're going to explain, uh, spend some time trying to explain what these different types of fires are. What does it mean to be a, you know, a, a straight fire versus a bent fire? What's moving those fires? Uh, what exactly do these things uh, mean? But the idea is, is that like for Shmuel, at least a bent fire is something that travels horizontally. And that's why even the barrier uh, would be a problem. You know, th- that that's why any type of barrier isn't good enough. Uh, then the Gemara is going to quote a Brisa that supports Rav. Um, you know, uh, you know, that's how they're going to end it. Um, and then again, the Gemara here is just going to sort of go through some of the finer points, right? Who, uh, you know, when it says Der Harabina public road, who's the time of this mission? They say it's Rabbi Eliezer. Uh, but I want to skip down to the part about the river. So again, we're going to have a machlokas of Rav and Shmuel, what a river means. Rav Amar Nahar Ramash. Rav says it's an actual river. Ushmuel Amar Arida Delay, right? It's an irrigation ditch. Uh, that's what it means here. It's some kind of narrow, you know, area, like a ditch that people would draw water from. Um, and then the Gemara, you know, will uh, explain this a little bit more, but it's basically what type of, you know, what type of barrier is really considered to be um, uh, a good enough, uh, a good enough barrier. And then from there, it's going to quote another Mishnah and, and explain uh, some of those terms as well. That's basically the first Mishnah. I'm going to read the second Mishnah and you're going to get to the Gemara and then another Mishnah later on. Um, and then it continues the Mishnah as follows. Hamad Lik if one lights a fire within his own property, up to what distance can the fire pass? Uh, in other words, it wants to say, what's the furthest distance a fire would have to travel um, over, you know, what? Uh, how, much dis- how much distance do you have to leave between where you light a fire um, and the property of your neighbor? Uh, so Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah, Omer, so Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah says, Ro'ino toki iloku, we view him, the one who lit the fire, as though he's in the middle of a bait core, right? So if he put the fire that it's half of a bait core separates it from all sides of surrounding property, right? He is pator for any damage that is done uh, to those to those properties. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Sheish Esrei Amot, Bederech, Kederech, Harashud HaRabim. 16 Amot, like a public highway. So according to Rabelius, right, a rising, you know, a rising fire, this is the first to explain it, wouldn't travel more than 16 amot, which is the width of a public road. So you have to have at least 16 amot in between. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Hamishim Ama, you have to have 50 amot. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Shalem Yishalem HaMavair Etabeira. The Torah says, one who ignites the fire shall play, Hakolafi Hadlekat, which means, it all depends on the fire. 
So what the Gemara is going to explain what that means, and Anne will, uh, you'll, you'll probably talk about that a little bit later. Um, but the idea here is, is that if we, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what's kind of like the, you know, how much space do you need to leave, right, between uh, if you have a fire. But here what we're talking about, um, one of the things that's interesting here is this has to be, the first mission was talking about sort of a bent fire, a fire that travels, whereas this is talking about a rising fire, right? It's a fire that sort of, it doesn't travel, it's not bent. Um, and therefore, you just sort of have to have some space in between. Uh, we we want to have, uh, you still need to have some space in case for some reason it does start to travel. So, uh, you know, I think it's interesting to see, like, I just think like fire is fire. And then you read these Mishnahs and the Gemara's explanation as well. And you see that even fire, right, we're able to categorize into different types of fire. Okay, I'm going to pick up the next Mishnah. Um, this is the first part of the Mishnah. I'm the second Mishnah. I'm a bet. Um, meaning we've got somebody who lights a stack of, and it could be wheat, it could be barley, right? And in the middle of this stack of wheat, there or barley, as I say, um, there's some kind of vessels and they catch fire, right? So now you have... You know, you intentionally or somebody intentionally lit the stack of wheat or barley, but did not mean to burn the vessels that were in the wheat in the stack, but they have burned together with them. So Rabbi Huda says that the person who did this, who made this fire has to pay compensation for what was in this stack. And the Chachamim say, the sages say, no, no. He only pays the compensation for the stack itself. He's not responsible for what was concealed inside of it. Meaning he caused damage that he didn't know that he was going to cause. So therefore, he's not liable for it, which is a really kind of radical statement from the Chachamim, from the sages at this point. The Mishnah goes on. But let's make the case a little more complicated. If you have a goat that was tied to that stack of grain, or you have an Evid, a Canaanite slave who's nearby, right? And if the fire spread, I guess, enough, and the goat or the and the slave were burned with that stack, meaning, and they were killed, either of them was killed, Chayav, then the person who who set that fire has to pay compensation. Evid kafutlo ugedisa muklo v'nisrafi pator. However, if it was the slave that was stu- was tied to the stack and the goat was just standing nearby and they still both burned together, then the one who kindled that fire is exempt. Why? Because, first of all, he's basically, you know, um, he's basically murdered, maybe manslaughtered, right? But the the slave who's standing there, meaning the slave couldn't leave, he's tied to it, as compared to if he'd just been standing by and he, I guess, didn't get away in time. And so that's a, that's a greater offense, right? The killing, the... In, the Let's see, it's not... It, I, I guess we have to call it intentional killing to the degree that because the guy is tied there, the slave is tied there, he can't get away. So the person lighting the fire, assuming he knows that the guy is tied there, you know, he, he's he's set up a, a death in a way that was inevitable as compared to the slave standing nearby where you could say, well, let him get out of the out of the way of the fire and he'd be okay. 
the Gemara go, uh, I'm sorry, the Mishnah goes on. Umodim chachamim l'Rabbi Yehuda b'madlik et abira shu mishalem kol mashabetocha. So the rabbis who have disagreed already, right? They disagreed with Rabbi Yehuda here about those vessels inside the stack. Here, in this case, um, they they agree that if somebody sets fire to a building, for example, shu mishalem kol mashabetocha, then you pay compensation for everything that's burned inside a building. Meaning, you know that a building has stuff inside of it. It's not the same thing as a stack of wheat or barley. Because people put stuff in their houses or in their buildings, right? Like that makes sense. Okay, um, the Gemara here, you know, begins delves in right away with this issue of. Um, with this this dispute between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda about the vessels that are you know stuck inside the that are stuck inside the the thing to which that has been set fire to I, that's very bad English but right the idea is that if you have something that is concealed within the other thing that you intentionally burned then that's a question do you pay or do you not pay. So Rava says here, I'm jumping just after the beginning of the Gemara here, Amar Le Rava, Ihachi Adatani Seifa, Modim Chachamim Le Rebi Huda, Madlika de Bira, Shemeshalem Koma Shebetocha, Shekin Derch Bene Adam La Nech Babatim. That's including that last clause of the rabbis who agree that if it's in that, you're talking about a building, then the person who set the fire has to compensate for the things that are in the building on the assumption that, of course, there would be things in it. So the Gemara says here, you know, let that, let that, um, we can distinguish here, right? And say that the difference is specifically because of it being a dwelling. Right? For example, you set a fire on your own property and it spreads and it, then it's going to consume the, let's say, a stack of wheat on somebody else's property. That's a really different case. If you set the fire on the other person's property, right, then you all, like, then of course you have to pay the compensation for what was contained within it. So the Mishnah wasn't worded that way, right? The Mishnah seems to be, um, you know, wherever it is that you've got something contained within it, that's where the Chachamim say that he was exempt, right, That as opposed to Rabbi Huda. So it doesn't sound like that's a legit, it's not fair to say it's not legitimate. It seems like that's a different kind of case than here trying to say that that was the Mishnah. That it was a Mishnah where, you know, the, he said it on his own property and it spread to someone else's property. And that's where the sages say he was exempt. No, I don't know. That's not how the Mishnah reads to begin with. So Rav doesn't try to answer this. El Amarava, Batarte Plige. Really, the rabbis and Rabbi Huda disagree about two different things. Plige b'madlik betoch shalo, chaviro. If you set the fire on your own property and it, you know, it spreads to the other person's property. So that's one point of dispute. Rabbi Huda mechayev atamun ba'ish, because Rabbi Huda says, if you've got something that's hidden and it is consumed by fire, it is destroyed by fire, you're obligated to pay the person who set the fire. But the rabbis say, no, you're not obligated for something that is hidden in the thing that was damaged by the fire. And they have another dispute about what happens if you actually light a fire on the property of somebody else. Rabbi Huda savar because Rabbi Yehuda says that's where you have to pay. Whatever you have to pay, you have to pay everything that's damaged. And meaning even if it would be like a, a, 
uh, wallet of money hidden within the the stack. The rabbis say, you know, if those vessels were the kind of thing that you normally would keep concealed within such a stack, I don't know. Might I, again, this is a fallacy of not being a farmer to know when do you put your threshing tools or your cattle yokes or whatever inside of such a stack, but that seems to be the Gemara's premise. However, vessels that are not typically, whatever typically means, concealed within such a, such a stack, you then you don't have to pay the compensation because it's a surprise. Like you had no reason to ever think that there was going to be something in addition to the thing that you set on fire caught up with the thing that you set on fire. And again, I will comment, this is me commenting, right? Like I feel like People, unless you're making an incredibly controlled science experiment, people know to be wary of fire and that it can spread. So it's interesting to me that there's a premise that, you know, even things that are kept within are not going to be, um, you're not going to be obligated to pay for them. At least, at least at this point in the Gemara's discussion of it. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stop on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.